Welcome back to the Preacher's Podcast. It's the fifth Sunday of Easter in year C. Our theme for the Easter season this year is victorious. The victory that changes everything is our Lord's victory over death. And connected to him by baptism, we too live a new life. His victory is our victory. And so through this season, we're exploring how we live out the new life and victory that our risen Lord Jesus has given us. The theme for this fifth Sunday of Easter, selfless love marches victorious over self-glorification. Selfless love marches victorious over self-glorification, and more on that in a minute. With me today, as uh, it's been throughout this Easter season, is Pastor Caleb Kerbis, who serves Living Savior Lutheran Church in Asheville, North Carolina, and Pastor Paul Zell, who serves Living Savior's other campus in Hendersonville, North Carolina. And I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. Caleb, uh, let's start with you. This week's worship theme is Selfless Love Marches Victorious Over Self-Glorification. Could you unpack that title for us, that uh, theme for us a little? So throughout Jesus' ministry, a lot of controversy surrounding not just the things that he would do, but also the things that he would say. Um, in this particular opposition were those that were bent on self-glorification. And that really is the worldly paradigm as we zoom out and look at everything around us. But now after Easter, the fact that now Jesus has risen from the dead, he not only vindicates all of his redemptive works, but everything that he said in particular about the way that love actually works, not a love that seeks to gain, but seeks to give. And so though it may seem like it's quite upside down, um, the world that can't fix death doesn't necessarily have a say in comparison to Jesus who conquers death. Um, and so with pre-Easter lenses, we view these, the, actually with post-Easter lenses, we view these pre-Easter words of Jesus about, about love that does not aim to, to get and to gain, but to give selflessly just as our Savior did who, who lived and died and rose very importantly for for us. Um, and, and even by the very action of selfless love gives us not just saving grace and well, salvation itself, but also the model, which we, we see in these coordinating lessons. Right. The love of Jesus coming through and also then yeah, being modeled for us. Um, we'll be thinking about those types of themes today. Uh, Paul, let's go to you next for a look at this other scripture readings for this Sunday or all, all of them and how they uh, relate to one another and to the theme of the week. Could you summarize them for us? The, um, this time, I think, maybe especially starting with the prayer of the day, I'll, I'll read it quickly. Oh God, you form the minds of your faithful people into a single will. Make us love what you command and desire what you promise that among the many changes of this world, our hearts may ever yearn for the lasting joys of heaven. Uh, like a lot of the prayer of the day, frequently I look at it and I go, well, does this fit? And yet the more time, the more I spend with the uh, readings, it's, it's, uh, it's, it fits really well as, as, yeah, as the prayer of the day. Um, the, the promise as well as the command of Christ is, in the gospel of the day, John 13, 31 to 35, 
uh, you know, explicitly this, love one, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So there's not only model there, but even promise, uh, you also, you also must love one another. Uh, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. The first lesson is the book of Acts, um, kind of a lengthy section that starts at chapter 10, where Peter is directed to the house of Cornelius the Gentile, and Peter resists, and the Lord shows him the vision of the, of, of the, of the otherwise unclean, the previously unclean animals, and tells him to kill and eat, and, and Peter comes to understand what the Lord has done as he's freed him not only from that command, but freed him to, to show love to Cornelius and his household. So Acts 11, Peter kind of recounts this for Cornelius and whatever would have kept him from loving Cornelius and again, his Gentile household and others, uh, that's, that's, been, that's been taken away. Uh, ultimately, of course, not only by the vision, but by what what the way Christ has himself loved all people. The second lesson, 1 Corinthians 13, maybe just to share what uh, the three of us talked about already, and that is it's so familiar. It's a, it's a favorite wedding text. And maybe for that reason, pastors wonder, well, I don't know how this, what, what, how can I preach this on a Sunday morning? Uh, much less sometimes at a wedding where people expect certain things of, of what should be done, and yet you're aiming to preach the gospel at the wedding. Uh, but clearly here it's an account of, for a troubled congregation, an account of what, what love is and how excellent it is. I, I, I kind of go back and forth with, you know, the, the, the lectionary starts it at chapter 13, verse 1, but there's that final phrase of chapter 12 and, and yet I will show you the the most excellent way which is not to downplay prophecy it's not saying like prophecy is bad it's not what Paul does that's a gift of the Holy Spirit as is knowledge as is the you know the even to fathom the the mysteries that God has revealed but ultimately the the greatest gift is love and of course, he almost, almost like I don't even have to read these words because I think those listening to this podcast are very familiar with uh, how he describes love in 1 Corinthians 13. So that's the text that we're uh, aiming to preach on with this um, on this particular Sunday. Right. That's our, our focal point, especially for preaching 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, yeah, so let, let's think about that a little bit, narrowing our focus. Um, we could just preach a sermon on love or various aspects of love. I mean, there so many of them are here in this beautiful chapter. It's famous for a reason. Um, but uh, Caleb, let's maybe focus on how we can preach this text in the context of the Easter season. And um, as Paul mentioned, on a Sunday when we're also hearing Jesus' words about love from the upper room, uh, Peter's not speaking of love in so many words, but of course, that is the whole reason why 
he was sent to the home of Cornelius to bring the love of Christ um, across cultural barriers, uh, across all these different barriers um, to someone else, and really what, what impels us to keep going out with the gospel too. So could you get us into the text a little bit um, in this Easter season context? I'm, I'm glad you put it that way, because I think this this text could just, like most of them, could lead in a number of directions. But in the in the context of Easter, is the way you, is the way you phrase that question, kind of helps shape the things that kind of jump out. So, if if one one possible way of outlining these, these this text in maybe three different sections would be the first of all the necessity of love in the context of people jockeying for position and value markers among this disturbed and troubled congregation of in Corinth. Um, but this the necessity of love. There's kind of a, a stating of a good thing, and then a, and then a heightening of that thing, and then. But if there's no love, then the result is there's nothing. So it kind of obviously walks through that, and and so it highlights the necessity of love that we're, we're really not finding in this world. So already, kind of in that paragraph, there is this sense that there needs to be something that is completely opposite to, and even outside of this world, Easter, Easter. Uh, and then the next paragraph, if the first one is the necessity of love, the next one is the is maybe the the, the character char character, if I can get the word character or nature of love. Um, and so what what love is and how it's completely again opposite from, but it's describing this character that really kind of leads us to implode, um, if if not explode, based on what we can't do and can't see in ourselves or in the people around us. And then maybe the biggest thing is is that verse eight maybe that's one thing there's this beautiful ambiguity with love never fails is it is it keying off of some of the poetic language of the previous verses or is it connecting to this eternal aspect and what follows in in the rest of verse 8 and uh through through verse 12 and i think one could say and and i i would say yeah um and the the fact that it never fails means that there's this eternal aspect which can only happen in and through the one who who gives us that that eternal reality of love, namely Jesus Christ, the, the victorious risen Savior. So some of the things that, that jump out to me are the, those eternal words, always or never, never uh, fails. But then even the, so if the first aspect is the, the necessity of love, the next one is the character nature of love, then maybe the, the third one would be the, the future realization or the permanence of love yet to be realized. Um, but there's that implicit trust in that future realization and that permanence that we do do not and cannot even see as Paul expounds. And so there really, there's, there's so much to, to explore. Um, and, and maybe one real hard challenge for the preacher is to take these ethereal concepts in the, in those verses eight to 12 and to, and to make them concrete in a way that a person can see this, this is what we live. And this is why motivated by the, by the love of God in Christ for me, um, that victory is mine and to live that out this way, but to keep Easter as my, as my context, that's, that's not just where we're, where we're preaching, but that is the, that is the motivation. That's the realization we are going to see someday. Um, so I've maybe said a lot about the, the outline, but I think I would, I'm kind of focusing in um, at least so far in my study, focusing in on a lot of those, those permanent aspects, the eternal words, the never failing aspect, um, which leads us to, to key off of them, what Jesus says, even before he suffered and died. Yet we know where that that story ends, right? It, it because Jesus is risen, because he conquered death. That means we can even dare to think about uh, 
love in these eternal terms, these never failing, never ending terms. He's opened that that uh, vista up for us. We, we can see love not just as a present thing, but as something that, as Paul says it, and I'll, I'll take one side of the ambiguity you mentioned, verse eight, love never fails in that sense. It never ends, it never stops. Um, yeah, uh, how could we um, bring out from the text, from the context, um, as you think in terms of maybe malady and cure here, um, kind of a, a, the sin-related problem, sin-caused problem that the text points to, uh, and I think it, it is kind of pointing back to what Paul has been talking about earlier in the epistle, um, and then how that is addressed by the gospel and uh, the in, in text-specific ways in this section. Any any thoughts on that kind of preaching law and gospel from this text? Uh, Paul, does anything come to mind? Yeah. Um, in, the, in the first, again, if you kind of take it, the, I think the NIV paragraphs are helpful. That strong language of, if, if I don't have love, I'm nothing. Um, <laughs> how, do I, how do I feel about that? I, I think, does that mean that whenever and because I have not acted in love, I'm nothing. Well, it, it does. That's what the apostle says. That's pretty strong. Um, then the, 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 you know, the, 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 the Greek is, the, is uden, again, just kind of leaps off the page and really strong in, in there as well. And then the next paragraph, um, always, or it's, it's panta, uh, you could say all things are always panta, panta, panta. Um, I ended up, I, I ended up reacting to that is when uh, you know I hear the Lord of Scripture say, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind." Uh, I don't know if Caleb even intended this, but there is a point where where my my own my assessment of self kind of just blows up um, that. And, and, and I, even, I even found myself wondering that if I go to all these weddings and I keep hearing this text, if I end up just tuning that out because, you know, this is not reality. In fact, in, in, in the reality of, of, of every marriage, there is so much failure. There's so much where, where you just recognize I'm, I'm, I'm nothing. I'm nothing as a husband, nothing as a wife, nothing as, you know, you could just kind of go on and on. So there's, there's very much that, I think, in, in reading this, as beautiful as it is poetically, um, as, pardon the expression, as lovely as it is, there's a point, and this is, this is kind of what I ended up writing out as my malady, um, when I find myself incapable of this genuinely selfless love, I downplay its excellence, I diminish its value. Maybe I become more self-serving and self-glorifying than ever. Because so it's, uh, yeah. I, there's, I can't help but read this, and I would imagine many others cannot help but hear it as, you know, the 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 law. And it's whether, whether you call it first or third, it doesn't matter. The law that acts as a mirror and shows me that 
I fail at this so often, as lovely as this is. I, I wonder then, and maybe Caleb, you and I didn't talk about this, but whether verse 8 then just becomes kind of a hinge where the apostle takes this in a, in a different direction to the, the everlasting love of the one who actually by his, his, his having loved me, I'll actually see him face to face. There's an eternal aspect of his love that impacts mine. Um, I, sorry to, to kind of fumble through that, but it's kind of weird to look at this and go, yeah, this, I end up feeling bad when I read this frequently. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I, I mentioned that, uh, and we we've been saying this is a familiar wedding text, but here we're preaching it in in the Easter season, not for a wedding. Um, but I think that still is a legitimate application or illustration of these words. Any situation in which we are called on to love, and of course, marriage is one of the, the prime examples of that. We realize how far short we fall of loving in the way that Jesus commands us to love. Um, so whether it's in a marriage or whether it's in our life interacting with other believers in a, a Christian congregation or a family, um, sure, we read about this ideal love uh, and it's hard not to, you know, as Paul ticks off every beautiful aspect of love to kind of say, well, I, I haven't loved that way or that way or that way, or that way. Um, our conscience is right there to remind us of those shortcomings. Yeah. Uh, Caleb? And, and even in addition to that, I, I would wholeheartedly agree that every time I read this, I just feel worse. Um, <laughs> I, somebody pointed it out once to me that, um, and it was kind of a, they kind of passed it off. It was another pastor friend pointed it out as it was, it was like kind of a, a simple thing that was very common. It wasn't common to me, but if you just insert Jesus wherever it says love, then that'll kind of help you see the gospel uh, in this text. And of course, that, that is where it is, what, what God's love is for us. I, I think in addition to what you were both pointing out about how we can feel bad about how far we fall and how short we, we come to God's expectations of love just here, um, I also wonder if there's something to be said about even the failure to understand what it is. Um, so the, the failure to really understand what, what really gives me value and also what gives other people value and how that's supposed to be exercised under the heading of Christian love. I, I kind of see that when you're reading the, those first verses, if I, if I have these things, if I had these things, but Paul's making the case that you guys don't even really get, get it, that the most important thing really is love. And I think, I think to myself so often when when we're exercising whatever it is we think in our Christian life. And yet if God were really analyzing the motives within, that's a, that's some humbling thought exercise in, in a hurry. And, and, and therefore we can't really fully understand You kind of get on that hinge that you pointed out, Paul. So I wonder if one aspect of the malady or maybe even a malady unto itself might be um, that the failure to understand the, the greatness of God's love to begin with, therefore also then what follows would be my inability to carry it out. Connected to that is, you know, the, even the ways that we try to understand and exercise love according to the paradigms of the world, we see that that's not working. And, and therefore only through the, the communication of God's son for us in this eternal picture in Easter, Jesus for me, can I, can I begin to understand what love is? And then through his love to me, 
I then would be moved by the gospel, that love to carry that out to others, um, which isn't very different. It might just be kind of like a half step before the, the, the deeds, actions, or, or sins of omission, we might say too. Yeah. Yeah. I related to that. I think it's always a good reminder when we talk about our sin, which in essence boils down to our failure to love we go to the first table of the law first, you know, God's command to fear, love, and trust in him. Uh, when we fail in that aspect, of course, then that leads to um, coming up short in his commands to love people, too. So, yeah, thanks, Caleb, for reminding us of that. There, there's a first table aspect of this, too, um, when it comes to our love and, uh, and sins against God's command to love. First of all, that's loving him. Uh, but I, like also what you said about uh, the gospel in this text, um, and Paul had referred to this too as he walked us through the other readings for this Sunday, uh, John 13, um, Jesus says, as I have loved you, uh, so you must love one another. And yeah, there's the gospel. Uh, Caleb, yeah, what you said, I've, I've heard other preachers do too. You could put Jesus as the subject of, of the sentence, uh, you know, in verses four through seven there, the description of love, Jesus is patient, Jesus is kind. There is the one who loved perfectly. He did that for me. And in him, uh, God chooses to view me as one who loves perfectly because the righteousness of Jesus is covering me. And, you know, that uh, new status I have in Christ then, there is my ability to love as Jesus continues to love me and as he loved me first. So um, yeah, what a natural thing to point to the love of Jesus for us as a way to uh, bring out the gospel in this text. Um, other things about um, how we can uh, point out ways to uh, appropriate, um, to believe more deeply, um, by the power of the Spirit, the, the beautiful message of this text. Uh, application maybe is the thing that springs to mind first also about how we can put these things into practice, but um, I'll open it up uh, to your, your thoughts on appropriation, application of this text. Paul? I, I think in a number of ways, this is the, it, this is the classic first first the gospel needs to be appropriated and I, I wonder if um, just you know how do you how do you go attack the text you could first of all read it without the gospel uh, you know read the law here without the gospel I, I think that's what I was getting at with um, the, the, the malady that's exposed here in me and I have no doubt in my in my hearers um, that to look at it first that way, and then as, a, again, a liturgical preacher, if you want to call it that, go to John 13. And, and um, it's, it's the words of Jesus, as I have loved you. It's the setting that's there. He's there with his disciples, one of whom he's just, he's, he's just exposed him. I, I know that you're going to betray me, and Judas has just left the room. And another is, is, uh, is, is going to deny knowing him and all these are going to desert him. And yet he, in love for them, uh, is going to 
go to the cross on their behalf and on behalf of the whole world. Um, and then confirm this, this love, uh, prove it uh, ultimately by rising from the grave. So, so now then sort of in, in, is that the, the way then to say, now look at this differently if, if whether you wanna do it as straightforward as that plug Jesus name into here um, and how true this is that it, uh, again, his love is patient, his love is kind, uh, Christ for me. Um, and then does that transition to Christ among us, in us, as he gives us these opportunities in our, uh, again, as children, as parents, as friends, at whatever vocation we are to be able to, um, to, to, to love what he commands, as the prayer of the day puts it. So is it first the, the, the law here without any gospel, and then it's, it's, Christ in keeping with the gospel of the day and that setting, and then Christ's name plugged in. Um, I think I, I think I, I think I got a pretty good, ser- pretty full sermon there. Uh, ultimately, to of course this then uh, becomes the most excellent way that by which we love as well. Great. Caleb, would you like to to follow up on some of those thoughts? I think my early basic slash rough outline really runs along the same lines. It's almost as if Paul, you and I talked about this recently. Um, the, uh, the idea that there's, and, and whatever picture a person wants to, a preacher wants to use, but first focus in maybe on how we perceive and understand love. And, and there's a lot of fodder in today's ever-changing culture. And I think the thing you highlighted in the, in the prayer of the day that, uh, um, that among the many changes of this world, and it just so happens that that is always true, no matter the time or the year, among the many changes of this world, the way that we perceive and understand love and then fail to carry it out means we need, we need something to be shown to us. And it's kind of, it's kind of hard not to read first John four, maybe in preparation um, of this, we love because he first loved us, this is love. Um, And then to focus in on what that, what that looks like, not first in what I do as trying to fix the law problem with my own, you know, law solution as if that could ever work, but to what this looks like in Christ. Um, And then how that carries itself out in my own, own life, even in the way that I look at this present time with the hope of fully realizing what God has prepared in eternity, even, even that leads me to, that's actually, that's still part of the motivation package, the power supply that, that leads me to want to, to love others too. Um, so as I, as I think about the way that we understand or fail to understand what love really is, what, what, what he's doing is he's taking our very limited understanding and he's, and he's kind of allowing us, pulling us out of our current context and allowing us to have maybe a 30,000 foot view of what that is. He, he kind of does that a lot in the first paragraph, but he even does that in the, in the third of the three paragraphs, if we divide it that way, along with, with the NIV, the, um, and I kind of think of how there's no way we can fully understand it. Maybe a way of illustrating that would be if you look at somebody who's really good at what they do and they, and they were maybe your teacher um, and they were really good at math. When they, you might think fondly about them when you deal with math in that realm or a coach and, and they were really good at being a basketball coach or whatever. And they were really good whenever you might watch a game or play or a parent, but they maybe weren't always there, but they were really hard worker, a good cook or whatever it is. But there's one thing that really causes any of those people in our lives to affect not just one realm of life, school, subject, sports, what have you, but every, but, but multiple aspects 
or realms, what, ha what have you, and, and, it's, and it's love. And I think we can all think of people who have been teachers or professors or coaches or parents or relatives who they had a broader impact into multiple realms or aspects of our life. And the one thing that did it, we would say the umbrella was love. I, I can think of coaches who people wanted to play the sport because it wasn't just about this, the sport, it's love. So yeah, examples of, uh, abound even beyond weddings, um, but the, the idea of finding our, our ultimate center in Christ's love for us leads us to have not just a better understanding for ourselves, but an understanding that is rooted in Christ's love for, um, for us. So I'm, I'm along those same lines with you, Paul. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent thoughts. Um, I was thinking in terms of how uh, sometimes when we, we work on application in the sermon, it ends up being kind of the flip side of, of what the malady was in some way. Um, so Caleb, you had mentioned, you know, at the root of some of our problems with love is that we don't really understand it, or there's a failure to, to grasp what love is in general, and especially what Christ's love is for us, what God's love is for us, or what he's called, the ways he's calling on us to love. Um, as we then make that turn to the, the gospel, Christ's love for us, I think uh, one of the applications then is kind of coming back to the, the flip side of that malady and saying, you know, uh, one goal we would hope that the spirit would achieve uh, through our preaching this text would be to deepen people's understanding of what love is, um, whether and whatever uh, aspect of that you focus on from the text, um, the qualities that are there, the character of love in verses four through seven, or the enduring nature of love um, in the, the third paragraph, or even the first paragraph kind of implies the selflessness of love, that this is not just about me glorifying myself, but it's always looking to benefit other people um, that, that that aspect of love is, is so valuable. So yeah, that maybe just some food for thought as you think about applying the text um, that uh, through this text, the spirit we pray is working in our listeners' hearts, uh, a deeper understanding of love. Of course, first and foremost, God's love for them but then also the ways that they can express that love and live out that love um, through the power of the risen Jesus uh, in all their vocations, wherever they live and serve. Uh, any closing uh, thoughts or, or other encouragements for preachers as they work with this, uh, this beautiful text during this Easter season? There's, I, I kind of brought it up earlier and um... Well, I guess I'm bringing it up again. The, 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 this, the phrase, the statement right before that, that this is the most excellent way. You, know, you look at the Greek, the way that surpasses even other good gifts of the spirit. And so the previous chapter in a very positive way, the apostle writes about the, the, the body of Christ. Each of us has been given gifts, um, not all the same, but those are uh, gifts are beautiful, eagerly desire the, uh, the, the greater gifts, and then he gets to the greatest one of all. At, at first glance, it, it doesn't seem that excellent because it seems so unattainable. Um, it, it, and yet, what Christ has done out of love 
um, brings us to that um, to that love or, or, or brings us to that that goal that um, he very much want, has in mind for us. Uh, Paul does this in other letters too. I mean, if that if that helps the preacher recognizing there's you know there's letters like Ephesians where it's about God's grace and love for us, and then the beloved in turn have the the capacity uh, to husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, for instance. So the um, the first look at this again, this is all kind of he's he's really making an argument. He does that frequently is he's put something out that people might go, are you really? And, and initially it doesn't seem to be true, but obviously uh, with Christ for us, it, it, it very much is true and eternal, enduring, um, the risen Christ making this something that is for this life as well as for the life which is to come. Yeah, thanks for those thoughts, too. Um, any possible themes that you are working with at this stage? Or we've kind of, uh, Caleb, you started us off by thinking of kind of a basic outline. Um, the text pretty easily uh, divides into three sections with that verses one through three, uh, verses four through seven, verses eight through 13, natural kind of division. Um, any thoughts about how you could formulate a theme that would kind of tie those together and express the main point of the text? One, okay. one thought I have is um, because love is such a subjective thing and, um, and it always has been, but it's all, it, it finds new ways of coming that way in the people's life um, and what they hear and think in modern society and culture, et cetera. Um, but maybe trying to find it as much as possible using the, the pictures maybe as an opportunity in here, whether it's the eternal aspect or the, the reflections of a mirror or a lens, what we see, what we understand, um, maybe trying to inspired Paul to use to try and ob objectify it. Because then um, if we do that, we kind of have the advantage of helping our people. So you were given maybe a, a, a telic note or a propositional statement before, John, about um, what we might do. But one might also be to kind of help see love objectively. And the only way that a person can do that is by looking at what God lays forth in his word. Because we can't see God directly. We can only see him indirectly through his word um, and, and understand what that is. So as I, as I was thinking about pictures or ways, ways to do that, that maybe highlight the plight of or the malady of our failure to understand or follow through in these aspects. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the idea of having, having direction. So whether it's a, a true north, not maybe magnetic, um, but ultimately the, the idea of being distracted or wayward can, cannot be solved by us trying to carry this out by only, but only by the one who um, is, is the way not to borrow too much from another text. But um, I, I think of the lens concept too, as he references this mirror, we just, it's, it's something that's hard to see, but all of this, uh, these themes haven't really been fully developed yet, but maybe trying to use some of those pictures as fodder for, for preachers is kind of what I've been chewing on um, as of late. Yeah, so as opposed to uh, us subjectively and influenced by so many different voices in the world, coming up with our own definition of love, which, which is probably ultimately going to be self-centered, at least in part, because um, we've got these sinful natures we're always contending with. 
you're thinking of, yeah, from outside of us, from God himself, from the risen Jesus, him providing direction, him providing clarity about what love is um, as we, we look at him, uh, right, rather than just relying on some uh, self-made, fabricated definition of love that we've come up with ourselves. Right? We could quote the wise philosopher... Uh, Jackie DeShannon in her song What the World Needs Now is Love, Love, or um, maybe try and find pictures elsewhere. Um, I, I'm not going to do that, I promise. Awesome. Yeah, or um, What's Love Got to Do With It? Um, if you want to go that route too. Um, which I think I've heard used well, very well as a theme uh, for this, this section, kind of because everything relates uh, to the, the accurate uh, depiction of love that God gives us through his word here. Uh, Paul, any ideas for a theme? I'm, I keep coming back to what's not in the text is, you know, like, uh, don't preach the text. I think we're not doing that, but that the, the most excellent way, maybe the theme is this is the most excellent way, which initially, you know, I, there's a couple problems. One, we've, I guess we've talked a couple of, about a couple of them. One is, uh, it seems somewhat ethereal, like this is just kind of up there and not really practical. It's an ideal, sounds wonderful, but it's not real. Uh, the other, another problem is it doesn't seem excellent when you, you see this, how this mirrors, this mirrors failure to love back so frequently and so, uh, so directly. Uh, but ultimately it is the excellent way uh, as Christ is the excellent way for uh, John chapter 13. Um, I, I want to also just kind of hop on what Caleb said earlier that I think our people, if, if what makes it concrete is that they can remember certain people who were such a blessing to them because above all else, uh, these people love them. Um, and, and I, so that to, to just, you know, who impacted you the most in your life? It's, uh, it's invariably not somebody that was just super duper smart or, or, um, or, or super duper eloquent. And obviously that's not an eloquent expression at all, but somebody that loved you. Um, so I, I think all of us can understand that and appreciate that. And of course, Christ is the, Jesus is the, 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 the supreme, the most excellent, um, again, not only example of that, but he, he, um, he fuels the, the, the love for, for, for one another and for God that um, is, yeah, is, is what God commands and, and wants of us and directs us to do. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if you would want to include that last part of uh, chapter 12, verse 31, uh, as a lot of editions of uh, Bible editors do, kind of putting the break right before, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. Uh, I think that's that's legitimate. And uh, if you do that, Paul, your secret is safe with me and Caleb and every other listener of the podcast, I guess. But um, but I think that's that works because I think Paul is pointing ahead to this section with that uh, most excellent way comment at the end of chapter 12. Uh, all right. Well, thank you, uh, Caleb, Paul, for excellent thoughts and, and help for preachers as they approach this famous chapter of the Bible. But as we have been saying, 
doing it in the context of celebrating the victory that the risen Jesus has won for us, that he continues to give to us uh, the victory and the new life in which we now live. Um, so God bless you as you work on proclaiming that message of love to your people, Christ's love for us, uh, shown by his dying and rising and the victory he gives us, and now our privilege to love one another. God bless you as you preach his word.